Unless otherwise indicated, Ratchet Book Club is intended for a mature audience. Viewer discretion is greatly advised. Welcome to Ratchet Book Club, where we read hood classics and good classics. I'm Derek. You know, I never thought that I learned something from reading these books. I never really expected to, and I still haven't. But still, um, one thing that I have learned as a result from reading these books, because that happens, is the slowest the fucketh down when I'm reading out loud. See... Most of us, and I'm sure if you're listening to this, you're a fucking book reader, or you just like ratchet shit. Neither way it goes, I'm with you. Up top. But, if you're a book reader and you read in your head, you start thinking you can read, and then you read out loud, and it's like singing in the shower. I digress. But here's the conversation that's going to make me digress. I'm digressing to it, and then I'll digress back. Um... So I used to think I could sing. Like, good. Hella good. I sang in the shower. I sang on uh, on on bus rides. I sang down low. I never had earphones in so I could hear myself. I only sang in my head. The audience in my head was throwing panties on stage. Everything. I don't even know where I got panties from because they were all me. I thought I could sing good. I was in the, the, the choir at church. I was in the children's choir. Or was it the young adult choir? No, it was children's choir because I was literally 11. Keep that in mind. It's important. One day, my mom, I didn't know you could do this. I mean, as an AAU coach, I know a gang of parents who will come up to you as a coach and be like, yo, why does my kid get more playing time? Woo, 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 whatever, whatever. As a rec league coach, I know the same thing happens. And I know as a varsity basketball coach, it definitely happens. And they go to the principal or the athletic director and they come to you and they're like, well, this parent said you're not giving their kid playing time. And I'm like, well, I chose their kid because we just needed somebody else on the roster just in case everybody else fails out of school and a snipers in the audience. But I didn't know that you can go to the pastor of a church and tell them how disappointed you were that your kid wasn't uh, getting a solo, hadn't had a solo yet, and everybody else had had a solo, and why wasn't my kid getting a solo? I figured that only would happen at at a church if you're... I'm not going to say that pastors have affairs. 
But I'm going to say that that really does help the cause of getting your kid a solo. I'm not saying my mom had an affair either. I don't fucking know. My mom can do whatever the fuck she wants. She's a, she, she's a grown-ass woman. Pastors are supposed to be like pious, though. Like, they ain't supposed to be Reverend Do-Wrong. It's just a song, not a movement. Anyhow, I digress in my digressing. Um, got the solo one way or the other, and I was so excited. And the song was called It Wasn't the Nails. And it's a horrible song. It is. And it was only made worse by me. But the lyrics are, it wasn't the nails that held him to the cross. Uh, what held him to the cross was the love of, of us. Now, what holds your parents to the cross is their love of making you feel guilty about something. <sighs> I'll stay here. You go ahead and take my car. I'm like, bitch. Anyhow. I learned the words, practiced it. They gave me the tape to take home and learn my solo. And my mom was all excited. And I got excited as my mom got excited. And it was um, told by my mom. This is way before the internet. So she literally called everybody and told them, my baby got a solo this Sunday at church. And so uh, I kept practicing and kept doing it. And then it dawned on me the day of the service that it was Easter and that's why we were singing it wasn't the nails that held him to the cross. I guess. I don't fucking know. But what I do know is that because it was Easter at a black church, we were going to be there all day long because we were the only choir that was singing. And so I had to sing this same song like four times that day. And so the first time I sang it was at like 8 o'clock in the morning. And I popped up all excited and put on my fresh dress Sunday clothes. Because you know at the black church, you're not allowed to wear school clothes to sit in the choir. That don't work. You got to wear your Givenchy and your, you got to wear your Armani and your fits and all that kind of shit. And you better not play ball in them either. After church, you better just get home and change. And then you go to the park and play basketball in your church socks, squeezing the shit out your thighs and shit, out, out your calves. Got them lines in your calf that'll never come out till you're like 26. Um, but I got up there. And the music started playing. And the choir started singing. And it was all wonderful. And I had practiced and I knew I sounded good. And so... I started singing and remember I said that I was 11. I might have been 12. I think I was 11. What I do know without a shadow of a doubt is that puberty found my address that day. At that moment. So as soon as I started singing my solo, my voice started cracking all over the place. And my mom has it on tape. The first time I sang that song in front of people, my voice cracked so much that somebody in the audience said, it's all right, baby. It's all right. God got you. If you hear those statements in service, just go home. It's a wrap. Just go. Go away. Go away, bear. Try again later. But I pushed through that first time. And then it happened again in the second service. And at the third service, I was asking the choir director to let somebody else do the solo because my stomach was hurting and I needed to go to the bathroom. And I guess the pastor had given it to her good as well. And uh, she was like, nope, you got to do this. So I had to do the third service, too. And at that point in time, my voice was just like this. He was lifted up from the earth. I cried during that third recording. They're all on tape. My mom got them all. 
think she wanted to plan for my wedding, which is why I fucking eloped. The fourth one. Let's just say I didn't go back to choir rehearsal the next day. Kids can be brutal. But yeah, 916-633-1537. Wretchedandratchet at gmail.com um, is the email address. Uh, Ratchet Book Club is where I'm at on Twitter. DM me, hit me up. I talk back. I'm pretty good at it. Um, you can leave a review on Podchaser. Um, you can leave a review on Apple. You can leave a review on Stitcher. Uh, if you leave a review on Podchaser, I like them because you can leave a review for separate episodes or you can leave a review for the show as a whole. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think that about sums it all up. He was lifted. See, now I can do it because now I'm a fucking baritone. They had me singing as like a, 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 a tenor, an alto, something like that. See, if I gotten up there now, it would have been like, he was lifted up from the earth. See, I still can't sing, but I feel like I can because I feel the vibrations in my throat and shit. By the way, um, didn't mean not to sound the way it sounded, but yeah, women, I got the vibration in my throat and shit. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> that was inappropriate. Oh, man. Oh, God. Oh, God, how do I get here? Anyhow, Horson, chapter 14. He was lifted up from the earth. Certain songs I can sing, okay? I know my lanes. Like, I can kill certain songs, but then there's other songs that I can't, and I just try to sing them to myself. Or I like screaming songs like Linkin Park. All of their shit I can scream along to. Chapter 14. Empty wine bottles and overflowing ashtrays littered my apartment. For the past two weeks, our flat had become an open house. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. Now I know to slow down when I read. Because I don't want to stumble over shit. The amount of mistakes that are made while I'm reading are phenomenal. Because you think you know a word and then you read it out loud. And you're like, I didn't think that word sounded like that. Which is why I was calling... um the hell was this girl's name? Tapatia. Um, uh, God dang. Fatima, which is why I was calling Fatima Fatima. Because again, a girl in my church who was impressed by me singing. First church girlfriend could only see her on Sundays. That was some bullshit. Sorry. Anyways, I'm going to start this over. Kissing in the back of the church will get you struck down by lightning, by the way. And by when I say lightning... I mean a deaconess's hand who's walking past you and sees you trying to get a kiss. That's lightning. <sighs> Slow down when you read. It'll save a life. Chapter 14. Empty wine bottles and overflowing ashtrays littered my apartment. For the past two weeks, our flat had become an open house, with wild parties continuing for three or four days without stopping. Since Friday, I had promised myself that come Monday morning, the party would end. At long last, I had got the last drunk started down the stairs. It had taken over an hour to get rid of all of them, but now I could sigh with relief. Now, with dawn breaking through the early darkness, I watched from my window the working men of the neighborhood preparing to depart for work. Milton's father, dirty as usual, stood in the street beside his car talking to one of his neighbors. I watched him with disdain. His coveralls were grimy with filth. 
The old model car he drove matched its owner in shabbiness. My gaze flicked to my Cadillac. There was a feeling of triumph inside of me. I wasn't even half his age and I had already accomplished more than he ever would. Milton's mother could look down her fat nose at me as she wanted to pretend, but we both knew who had the sweetest end of the stick. Exultation overcame me as I turned and watched Diane dumping ashtrays. With my chest pushed out with pride, I walked over to the bedroom and opened the door. Boots and Vera were both laid out, side by side. They had danced so much over the past few days that they were just worn out. Diane, why aren't you in bed getting some rest, girl? I asked quietly. You know I'm sending you to work later on today. She looked up from her cleaning and smiled shyly. I just wanted to clean this mess up a little, Daddy, she answered innocently. A good pimp should try and know what his whores are thinking. Sometimes you'll be put in an awkward spot, but most of the times you could guess just about what they have on their mind. Quit lying, bitch, I replied coldly. I know the only reason your lazy ass is up faking it like you work and is on the slim chance that I give you some meat this morning when I go to bed. Her eyes dropped and she tried to look rejected, but just as quickly she rushed over and hugged me. You gonna do a little something for me this morning, ain't you, Horson? This was an ideal time to act chilly, but my defense was weakening. She was light chocolate, and her skin was as smooth as a baby's ass. When she smiled and looked up at me with those big bedroom eyes, I couldn't refrain from taking her in my arms and kissing those tender lips. As she pressed her young body against me, I knew that fate had dealt me a terrible blow. I've been gifted with a tender dick. A tender dick, by the way, is totally not what happens when you jack off too much and your shit gets chapped. That's chap dick. There's complete differences. Chap dick is horrible. When you're like... But still, jack off, fellas. It is quick, easy. It knocks you out. I use it better than I use Tylenol PM. Hmm. Call it Tylenol PM, jacking off is Tylenol PM, post-masturbation. That's, that's, shoot, got to think of something for that. Bending over, I caught her legs and carried her towards the other bedroom. Her body had the smell of fresh roses and her arms around me had the same effect as alcohol to the senses. When our bodies met, a shock of electricity went through my mind. We were caught up in the passion of youth and my excitement exceeded all bounds. Later, when Diane snuggled against me gently snoring, I shuddered with horror at the thought of having to leave every morning for a job. I had never had a job, and because of my environment and training, plus my dexterity at getting money, employment was unnecessary. My stable was growing. My mind wandered to the other two girls in the house, Boots and Vera. Now that I had three girls... It wouldn't be long before I was the best young pimp in the city. Here I was, at 17, with three of the youngest, wildest, and fastest whores in the country. How sweet it is. Pimping really had its good points. I'm just saying, you the internet didn't exist when you made this statement. That is a brash-ass statement. To say that you got the youngest, fastest, and wildest horse. First of all, you don't want to have the youngest horse. You don't. That'll get you Chris Hansen real quick. Secondly, you cannot quantify that statement. There is not a pimp off. There is not a, a hoe off. 
There's not a hoedown. That's what they would call it. They call it a hoedown. I already know. With the passing of Christmas and the following holidays, I was in good shape for the new year. Boots was able to go back to work, so I stopped her from doing any more boosting. Her boosting bloomers were packed away for later use. Many pimps would disagree with me, because quite a few pimps would rather have a booster than a whore. But to me, at this stage of my life, I didn't want nothing but a flat back and whore. The neighborhood theater, which went by the name of Duke, used to put on talent shows every Saturday afternoon. Since I was too young for the bars, I'd dress my three ladies up, get the car washed, and make my grand appearance, amidst much head-turning and adulation from the young would-be pimps in the audience. Ape, with a few more of my old gang, would have two rows of seats saved down in front for the selected ones in our crowd. My girls enjoyed the adulation as we walked slowly towards our seats. My popularity was rising. The fastest young girls in the neighborhood would crowd down near our road trying to catch my eye. This theater was to become the best establishment in the city for meeting potential prostitutes. Me again. There's no such thing as somebody being fast. To call somebody fast, and I know that this book was written at a time where that was acceptable, but to call somebody fast is to say that you're unable to quell your sexual desires towards them, and because of that, they're fast. I never liked that statement. I never liked that belief. One Saturday, while sitting down front, crowded in between many admirers, a group came out on the stage and swept the spotlight from me with their swinging arrangements. I stared in wonder at young Janet. She was still singing and getting better than ever. I watched her capture the crowd with song after song. The audience wouldn't let them leave the stage. Every time they tried to leave, the crowd would become so unruly that the owner would call them back on stage. After doing one more number, Janet must have decided to put a stop to the commotion herself. She came down off the stage, followed closely by the two girls who sang with her. She stopped in front of me and leaned over. Horson, how about trying and getting us out of here, she yelled in my ear. Don't worry, baby, I said, standing up. I can handle it, I replied with more confidence than I felt. The crowd was really yelling and kids were crowding into the aisle. I had grave doubts about whether I could get them out. One thing kept ringing in my mind, though. This young girl had star written all over her, and I meant to shine bright in her eyes. Embracing Janet, I pulled one of her trembling girlfriends into my other arm. Catching Boots' eye, I yelled, See if you can get Ape and some of the fellows to clear a path, baby. She nodded and ran over to him. With Ape and five more of the bunch in front of her, Boots started breaking through the crowd, with us right behind. With kicks and punches, they soon had kids climbing seats to get out of the way. Finally, we reached the protection of my car. All the girls piled in. I gave Ape enough cash for cab fare and some weed before driving off. You can drop us off anywhere, Horson, Janet said quietly. I smiled and kept on driving. I know you ain't going to be rude enough to refuse an invitation to my place, Janet. She sighed and settled back against the seat, compelled to accept my offer by my apparent refusal to stop long enough to let them out. Within 30 minutes after our arrival, the capacity of my house was being tested. 
Teenagers were everywhere except for the back porch. And that was only because of the cold weather. Janet sat down on the couch beside me. She was breathing heavily from continuous dancing. This is the first time I sat down since we got here, she laughed. I heard about some of the swinging sets you gave, Horson, but I don't realize just how renowned you are. I'm glad you're really enjoying yourself, Janet. You seem so set against coming here that I figured you'd leave before anybody arrived. Actually, I'm having a better time than I thought was possible, Horson. She touched my arm and gestured towards the dancers. Seriously, though, Horson, how long do you think this can go on? What do you mean, baby? The party? I asked, looking down into her large, serene eyes. Yielding to her female wiles, she laughed lightly and gave my arm a pinch. You know what I mean. These parties, prostitutes, you not working. How long, Horson, do you really think you can last? Noticeable as your Cadillac is, successful as pimping might be, you still don't have any solid foundation under you. It finally occurred to me that she was serious. This probably was her way of letting me know that she would be available if I would give up the game. Naturally, I had no intention of ever giving up the game, but I didn't want to hurt her feelings. Listen, sugar, I said softly. Name me one good job that I could get. Don't think about the Cadillac that I drive, or the diamonds that I wear, nor the silk suits that I look so good in. Just forget about those things, and name me a decent job that I could get. She bit down on her lip for a moment. Well, she began, you probably have to go back to school for a while. She hesitated to see if I was taking this seriously before continuing. Then after you graduated, you could, she finished in a rush, get all kind of jobs. Be a little more precise, baby, I inquired of her jokingly. She frowned and became very nervous. Well, let me see. She said quietly, you could, um, become a policeman. I laughed harshly. At what police department, honey? One in China? No, no, Horson. It's the truth. I ain't joking. My mother read it in the papers this morning. She said they're hiring colored men for all kind of jobs on the force now. Instead of being amused by her behavior, I was ashamed of myself. I realized that she was so innocent she believed I might give up my precious possessions for love. Horson, she said, her face shining with sincerity. There are many girls who will marry you and not care if you didn't make a whole lot of money at work. They wouldn't care if you had to sweep floors, wash cars, anything. Just as long as you were theirs, it wouldn't make any difference what you did. She was looking at me with so much tender love in her eyes that I tried to joke her out of the mood. You can easily say that, Janet, I said, but I ain't seen none of these girls you keep talking about. Her eyes had tears in them as she stared up at me. Just look at me, Horson, she said. I'd gladly be your wife, but never your whore. After quite a circular route, there it was, out in the open. I had tried to keep the naked truth of her feelings from coming to light, but now the cards have been spread on the table, face up. She seemed so lovely sitting beside me that the thought of losing her was like taking a liquid bath with loneliness. 
I knew that my answer would hurt her. Even while I wanted to spare her pain, my customary glibness vanished. To me, the sound of my voice was harsh and sharp. Janet, I wouldn't be a flunky to the white man for you or the Virgin Mary. Car washing, truck driving, or working at some honky's factory is out of the question for me. Wait, I said and grabbed her arm to prevent her from leaving. If my mother had left me enough money to set up a business or something, things would have been different. But since this didn't happen, the only way I can get big money without selling drugs is to manage sporting ladies. She listened to my raving until I was finished, then removed my hand from her arm. Goodbye, Horson, she said bitterly. Again, I wish you all the happiness in the world. Instead of following her, I watched her walk quickly to the door and leave. If there was one thing I disliked, it was to watch a woman cry, and I knew she was crying. Trying to maintain my air of composure, I turned and examined the crowded room. Boots dropped down in the vacant seat. She patted me on the cheek. Don't worry, Daddy. You miss one shot, you get another, she added. While you were talking to Janet, that light-skinned girl over there asked me if I'd mind having her for a wife-in-law. Copping was just that simple. My fourth girl came to me just like that. I stared at her without too much interest. Boots' sharp remark brought me back out of the clouds. She looking so mournful about horsing. I know it ain't over that skinny-ass Janet. But all she could do was sing to the tricks, because she ain't got enough ass to stand no heavy pounding. I whirled around to give her a chilling rebuke, but her eyes were deadly cold and unflinching. Her voice dripped with venom when she spoke. Whores go with pimps, Horson. Barbers go with manicurists, and square bitches go with square niggas. She pivoted on her heels and walked across the crowded floor. Her back was straight, her head held high. With the coming of summer, my stable of whores stayed anywhere between six and a dozen good prostitutes. Pimping was good, and my bankroll continued to swell. At times, I would hear reports about Janet singing in different places, but I made it a point not to go anywhere that I might run into her. For some reason, she stayed in my mind, no matter how many different women I slept with. As the summer wore on and my stable grew, I tossed myself into one party after another and started trying to teach myself to take the bitter with the sweet. You take the good, you take the bad. You mix them up. And there you have the facts of life. The facts of life. Chapter 15. I awoke Monday morning with a splitting headache. My mouth was dry and my eyes were bloodshot from too much entertaining without sleep. I reached over one of the ladies in my bed and removed the last stick of weed from the night table. Before I could finish smoking the joint, Boots opened the bedroom door and walked in. Her sharp glance briefly lingered on the two sleeping forms I was lying between. Horson, she said, why don't you get them lazy bitches up and on the track? Shit, they ain't done nothing but pop their fingers and shake their ass since Friday night. Before replying, I sat up in bed and inhaled deeply on the tiny cocktail between my fingers. Bitch, I replied coldly. Until you grow pole, you leave the pimping to me. Boots put her hands on her hips and leaned provocatively towards the bed. 
Yes, sir, master, sir, she said sardonically. Amused at her answer, I climbed out of bed and stretched. Since the miscarriage, Boots had developed into one fine bitch. You couldn't have paid one of my other whores to speak to me in such a flip manner, but Boots knew she was my main lady, so at times she acted just like a black queen. And to me, that's just what she was. Since I'm up now, I guess I'll take a hot bath, I said. Boots hurried over to the dresser and took out a large towel. Horson, I went over to the hotel like you said, Daddy, but I couldn't get the top floor like you wanted. It was already rented out, so I rented a suite on the second floor. How much did that one rent for? I asked sharply. She hesitated for a moment. $30 a day, Daddy, but I didn't pay but a week's rent on it. She brushed her words out, afraid of my reaction. More out of habit than anger, I yelled, Bitch! Dumb bitch! Ignorant bitch! Did it ever occur to you that I might not want the suite on the second floor? I walked out, leaving her to stare after me dumbfounded. Pushing the bathroom door open, I stopped at the sight of another one of my whores. Damn, I exclaimed irritably. When you get finished, Jean, run me some bath water. Before slamming the door, I added, Get some spray, or either burn some goddamn incense in there, and please mix some water with it. The girls in the kitchen burst out laughing. I stared at the women preparing breakfast until silence greeted my smothering glance. Boots came quietly into the room and put on a stack of records. Any of you bitches got some reefer head, set it out for daddy, she ordered. Diane, small, thin, with features that seemed to be carved from a bronze statue, danced out of the kitchen. She held up two joints proudly. Here, Daddy. Her voice belied her smile framed with its deep sensuality. Her large hazel eyes twinkled as she held out the weed. Without commenting, I removed the reefer from her outstretched hand and watched her dance back into the kitchen. If all of the girls had the vim that Diane displayed at all times, my pimping would be a relief. Next to Boots, she was the best money maker in my stable. Jean came out of her bathroom. She was almost as tall as Boots, but that's where the comparison ended. Where Boots was dark, Jean was light, with yellow teeth full of gaps. Ordinarily, I wouldn't have accepted her in my stable, because she was lazy and virulent. At the time she chose me, I was just beginning my stable. She came to me after ripping off 300 from a trick. I finished off the joint I started before traipsing off to my waiting bath. The mellow weed plus the hot bath eliminated my slight irritation. Living in a house full of women had its drawbacks, but I found it much more rewarding than living in a house without any women. Slipping deeper into the tub, I splashed water up on my chest and shoulders. With the rental of the suite, I would eliminate the problem of some of my worrisome women in my stable. When I moved out, I reasoned I wouldn't take but Boots and Diane with me. My meditation came to an abrupt end with the entry of Diane. She closed the bathroom door behind her, and by the time I turned to see who it was, she had slipped out of her duster and leaped into the tub naked. Now I've heard many people speak of how wonderful it is to make love in the bathtub, but to me, ain't nothing happening with it. First of all, I don't enjoy a woman bathing with me, and as far as I'm concerned, 
when it comes to having sex with a person in the tub, I think it's foolish. As small as Diane was, she still hurt my legs when she sat on my lap. I pushed her up so she turned around and sat down in the bathtub facing me. She was so full of mischief that she made me grin in spite of my attempts to look stern. I put my knee between her legs and began to probe for the right spot. Her lithe and graceful body began to move in the most assertive manner. She looked up at me and groaned enthusiastically. Oh, Daddy, Daddy, you sure know how to make it good to me. Before the sound of her vibrant voice descended to its normal tones, Boots had shoved open the door and stepped in. She stood in the doorway, glaring, with the refry giving her hanging from the side of her mouth. Diane broke the silence. Whore, you don't own this dick, bitch, she yelled, so try putting an egg in your shoe and beat it. Boots ignored her and came over and sat on the side of the bathtub. Little hot cunt heifer, she said. Why don't you get your ass out of there so Horson can enjoy his bath? The weed had put me in such a mellow mood that I just sat back and enjoyed the byplay. Diane snorted. Huh, whore, I like your nerve. There you sit on your white ass smoking my reefer and talking shit. Before Boots could retort, Diane followed up her verbal attack with action. Using the palms of her hands, she began scooting water in Boots' direction. Boots took to her heels while I tried to save my towel from getting soaked. Cursing, I climbed out of the tub. You'll be my luck to get hooked up with a bunch of crazy bitches. Diane jumped out of the tub and snatched the towel from me. Resigned to my fate, I stood docile while she rubbed me down. True to her impetuous nature, as soon as she got below my waist, she began to act up. Using the towel with an imp's delight, she took to her task vigorously. I laughed at her unruly behavior, but before I became too aroused, I decided to put a stop to it. I slapped her wrist, but it didn't do any good. She just got a tighter grip. Trying to pry her hands loose was more difficult than trying to get free from an octopus. Bitch, I yelled. Enough is enough. Turn my Jones loose. Instead of obeying, she dropped to her knees and opened her mouth as if she was going to eat some rare delicacy. I grabbed a handful of her hair and pulled her head back. Only the sudden opening of the door stopped me from slapping her. Boots charged in carrying a bucket of water. Diane uttered a scream and scrambled behind me. I leapt sideways, but I was too slow. Most of the cold water landed on me. I shook like a dog shaking water from his fur. Boots turned and fled, and I leapt towards the doorway in hot pursuit, cursing every step of the way. Shrill, piercing shrieks greeted me as I ran bare-ass into the living room. All of my women were sitting there eating, and three other prostitutes that didn't belong to me and stopped in to roll up some reefer. My predicament was embarrassing even for me. There I stood in the middle of the floor, naked as a newborn baby, with no less than ten women evaluate my prodigious instrument. I looked down unconsciously. Because of the vicious tugging by Diane a few moments ago, I had nothing to be ashamed of. Gathering up as much dignity as the occasion would allow, I ambled towards the bedroom amidst cat calls, much laughter, and sly insinuations. Mm-hmm, one girl exclaimed. I see why Horson got all you whores in this stable now. 
Another one cracked. I don't know what you got between your legs, but if I dreamed I took that much meat, I'd wake up with female trouble. Amidst much loud laughter, I slowly dress, listening from behind the door to their frank appraisal of my merits. Once again, I became aware of the fact that whenever a group of women got together, they discussed private sex matters much more openly than a group of men would. To a stranger, their conversation would have sounded vulgar, because they discussed oral sex as though it was a hat they had purchased. But to me, their conversation was as normal as eating and sleeping. They were discussing their work, and the easy way of doing it. I hadn't turned 18 yet, and prostitutes were the only kind of women I had ever known. If someone had inferred that the life I led was quite different from the rest of society, I wouldn't have given it a second thought. From the factory workers I knew, and the ones I saw coming home from work, I didn't have a doubt in my mind that's my role in life. As far as I was concerned, there were two categories of people. One group consisted of tricks, and the other of players, and I knew I had been born to play. I finished dressing and looked in the mirror. My apparel consisted of black pants, a gold high-low shirt, and black alpaca sweater. The black alligator shoes set off my casual dress to perfection. I put on my diamond ring and took one last peek in the mirror, fixing my features into a cold, unruffled mask. I opened the bedroom door and stepped out onto my stage. All pimps must be an actor to some degree. Not to act spells failure in their field. When a woman comes to your bed in the early mornings with a fistful of money for you, you're forced to act. No matter how much you detest this certain lady, you cannot allow your true feelings to show. Being aware of the possibility that she may have consumed a bucket of sperm in the course of a night, you don't display any aversion if she wants to kiss you. You just send her to the bathroom with the Listerine and toothpaste. So instead of her ever becoming aware of your true nature, she only sees the parts you act. Instead of scorn, she finds acceptance. Instead of hate, she finds her conception of love. Thus, many people believe the prostitutes are the biggest tricks of all. Closing the bedroom door behind me, I yelled, Diane. My voice was cold and harsh. You and some of them other bitches clean up that water on the floor. Then you get Boots' clothes in your own packed. I'll be back for you in a little while. Fear leaped into her eyes. She searched my face for a clue, then turned and stared at Boots. Their eyes met and whatever transpired seemed to relieve her. She was laughing as much as ever when Boots and I walked out the door. 916-633-1537 is the voicemail line. Wretchedandratchet.gmail.com is the email address. We're Ratchet Book Club on Twitter. I want to thank you again for listening to us. Please leave a review uh, at Podchaser, Apple Podcasts, or at Stitcher. Um, thank you all so much for listening. I greatly appreciate it. If you want to join the Patreon, it's patreon.com uh, slash single simulcast. If you want to buy me some books or help me buy some books, it's at uh, buymeacoffee.com backslash sscast. Thanks so much for your time. I greatly appreciate it. Y'all be good. I'll holler at you later. Peace.
intro and outro to Ratchet Book Club is by that kid Garan, and it's called Goodbyes. You can email him at tkgbeats94 at gmail.com for more information on how to lease this beat. This is Single Simulcast. Don't know by now that you slipped.